how long. It's about faith under fire. And when things are looking rough and things aren't going the way you'd want, how do I trust in my God and grow in the midst? Amen. Well, it's great to be here with you. Great to be worshiping with you guys. And man, we're in a series. This series is called How Long? We're coming to the back end of it, but we're walking through the book of Habakkuk. And uh, this is an Old Testament book. It's like five books from the end of the Old Testament. And uh, so we're walking through Habakkuk. It's only three chapters long. And we're going to be in the third chapter for the next two weeks, uh, this week and next week. And, and really, we're just walking through how faith gets challenged and how we can grow. And the reality is when stuff starts washing on our shore that we're not expecting, when things start happening that we don't really plan on or understand, and it just doesn't seem to jive with who my God is, man, our faith starts to get rattled. And all of a sudden, we start to question things we don't understand. And that's exactly where Habakkuk was. As he started to have the things of the world come on, like all the sin of Judah not being dealt with, the sin of these people not being dealt with, God not doing anything about it, and Assyria all around it kind of raging and succeeding. And, and now the rumor is Babylon is rising up, and God, what is going on? Like, it just doesn't seem like what I would expect to happen is happening, and who are you, God, and what are you doing? I thought I knew you. What's happening? His faith was being tested. And faith tested is always the first step. Faith tested. But as he cried out and he came before his God and he was honest with him, Lord, I'm wrestling and I'd long to hear from you. He starts sharing. He starts praying. He lays it before God and he gets ready to listen. God starts sharing back. God starts revealing out all of who he is and what he's going to accomplish and where he's going with the whole of this, how Judah's sin is going to be dealt with very soon, and how Babylon's sin is going to be dealt with in a longer period of time, but is going to be dealt with. Hang on. I'm taking it all seriously. I am the same God. Just hang on. His faith was being taught. Faith taught. So we move from faith tested to faith taught, and as we learn and we grow and we grasp those things, then in the end, we get to do some celebrating as we begin to take steps with our God. We get to experience faith triumphant, faith triumphant, like as I learn, as I grow in my God, as I let the things of this world challenge my understanding and come together with a bigger worship of my God, faith triumphant is what we begin to experience. And all of God's people said, right, faith tested to faith taught to faith triumphant. And uh, man, we start to grow when that's happening. So that's our goal. May we grow in the midst of things. That said, uh, just turn with me, if you will, to Habakkuk chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Habakkuk 3, starting in verse 1. And the first point here is a growing faith if we are growing, if there is that celebration, that triumph, a growing faith will celebrate God's stunning character. A growing faith will celebrate God's stunning character. And as he gets going here, starting in Habakkuk 3, verse 1, just so you know, we now are transitioning. He's transitioning from faith taught, where he's been kind of interacting with God on a prayer level, sort of crying out, God, what's the plan? And I don't get it. And now he begins to transition over into a huge celebration. 
And in fact, it starts out in verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk according to Shugianoth. Of course, we all know what that word means, right? Right, And it's a, a prayer from Habakkuk according to Shigianoth. And this according to really means in the way of. And Shigianoth was a way, a song style. It was where the melody would go up and down really fast and sometimes at a little bit faster pace and sometimes at a little bit slower pace. It was a very kind of a classic Middle Eastern Jewish sound to the song as it rose up and rose down real quickly, and he was wrestling and remembering along the way. A prayer of Habakkuk, according to Shigianoth. It says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. O Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. He's like the personal name of God, the one who is known as eternal. I come before this God who can be known, massive in all forms and yet personal and close. Oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. He's like, God, I know the history of how you've worked with Israel. I've heard the report. I know the truth of what's gone on in in times past. And God, I know who your character is. And and in the midst of that, Lord, now as I struggle with what's washing on my shore, Lord, I'm going to look back and remember and celebrate. um, God, I thank you for this report that gives me hope of who you are. He says, oh, Lord, do I fear. Oh, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, the personal God, Lord, the one who I'm coming to, knowing your name privately, says, do I fear And this word here meaning, I respect, I understand, I grasp what you're doing. God, I see how you work with sin. You do take sin seriously. Destruction for those who won't repent and mercy for those who will. I see it, God. I see how you worked from time past and I celebrate all of it. Lord, I fear as I recognize that you are working. And I am not questioning, I grasp who you are. As I pondered these verses this week, I just wrote these words down. God revealed will always bring deference. God revealed will always bring deference. It will always put us on our knees. Sometimes we'll be bowing in humility. Sometimes people will be bowing in angry pride. But it will always bring deference. Deference, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And all of God's people said, and man, may we be those who bow and we get on our knees excited and worshiping. You're in charge. Jesus, you have it. I celebrate and worship you. Because the only other alternative is I refused until I was actually face to face with your amazing, huge, vast power and authority. And it drilled me to my knees with grimacing on my face. And there will be some who go to their knees with that in the end of time. Man, may we go to our knees in worship of Jesus Christ. May he get all the glory. And he's like, I do fear. I worship you with all I've got. He says, in the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. It what? Well, probably referring all the way back to the report. Lord, make this true. 
this character about you, this, this history that I've seen of you, this you dealing with sin in the right way. Lord God, I long to see this happen. Fulfill the promises. Lord, raise it up in your timing. And Lord, may we see you at work. What would it look like if he's at work? Well, he says that next. In wrath, remember mercy. Like God will rise up against sin. Wrath. God does take sin seriously. Wrath. God leans on sin and says, enough. Wrath. But Lord, for those who do repent and say, Lord God, we are wrong. Lord, please forgive me for my sin. Lord, I, I, I am so wrong. Your character was so wronged. Your glory needs to be lifted up. Lord, may it be about you. Mercy. When there is repentance, God brings mercy. And so he talks about both here. Just so you know, God's glory on full display is his wrath and his mercy. Both of those his glory. For those who will not bend, wrath. He does take sin seriously. He will stand against. And for those who do take sin seriously, they repent. They get to their knees in respect and fear. Mercy. And he's like, Lord God, bring your wrath. Don't hold back on some of your glory. But Lord, bring your mercy. I long to see both. May your glory be on full display. Just so you know, when you talk about the gospel message, this is exactly the hope we have. The problem is that we have trampled God's glory. That's the gospel problem. All too often, people would say the gospel problem is that man is going to hell. And I understand that's a horrible thing, but just so you know, that's not the gospel problem. The gospel problem is that God's glory was trampled. Part of the solution to that is God takes sin seriously. And wrath is a big piece of that. And us going to hell because we stand on our own sin is actually God's glory on full display again. God is restoring his glory and wrath will stand against sin. But God offers another way too. Repentance, humility. Lord, I'm wrong, please forgive me. I set this sin down and I lay it before you. You are the almighty king. And mercy then comes in. Man, God brings both wrath and mercy. And they are his glory on full display. And all of God's people said, and let that settle. That is a huge truth to chew on. Wrath and mercy is God on full display in his glory. So he starts to talk about this history, this record, and the wrath and the mercy being on display. And he says, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. These terms, Teman and Mount Paran, this is south of Jerusalem. This is down into kind of what would have been the wandering wilderness land. This was an area very close to Mount Sinai. And so these words coming up would have made people immediately remember Ten Commandments. Like coming across the Red Sea. And when Moses went up on Mount Sinai, that's what these words would bring back for them. And he's like, God came from Teman and from Mount 
Paran. Like, that was an area where we felt alone, but God came alongside. We had the cloud, and we had the fire, the pillar of fire. And by night, his presence was obvious, and by day, his presence was obvious. And he moved in Mount Sinai, and God with us in the middle of release. God with us. He came in and he released us from Egypt. We were in bondage. And he brought massive wrath and destruction against those who would not listen to him. Egypt suffered greatly. But he released Israel out. And as they repented and came to their God and leaned on him, mercy, as he walked them out and walked them through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, and he ushered in his very presence as he gave them the Ten Commandments. He's like, I remember, I remember your wrath, and I remember your mercy, and I remember Israel freed. Praise God for it. He says, Selah, and uh, probably best understood as a musical term that means let that settle. Just take a moment, let that settle. God's wrath and God's mercy already on full display as we were released from Egypt and protected. Remember, his concern is Judah being taken captive by Babylon. And he's like, I've already seen what God does with Israel as captors. And he does work with bringing wrath and mercy. And there is hope. Selah. He says, his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Like God in all of his glory thundered forth. He was so bright in all of his glory that it actually caused them to have to cover their eyes. There was actually a cloud that surrounded Mount Sinai because as God's glory was thundering forth there, they couldn't even look at it without it hurting them. When Moses, who had been with God, had God's glory pouring on him, it ended up that as he stepped out, God's glory beaming off of his face was so bright that Moses needed to put a veil up, it said. Literally had to put a veil up to cover his face because the beaming of the glory of God was so bright, it was literally coming off of his face and hurting the eyes of all those around him. And we can't even begin to understand it. I mean, yesterday was hot. And we actually were at the pool for a little bit, and we enjoyed a little bit of time in the sun. I was not beaming afterwards, needing a veil. You know what I'm saying? That was in the sun. Imagine the glory of God. He's like, man, his splendor covered the heavens. His earth was full of, the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand. You were like bright as the sun. You were as light as lightning, you were as loud as thunder. He says, and there he veiled his power. Literally, he had to have Moses put the veil on his face. He had to have the cloud put around Mount Sinai. God, your glory is stunning. May I never lose sight of your glory. And all of God's people said, may I never lose sight of your glory. See, all too often when we get into the middle of circumstances, we get to be experts of the problem, but not the problem solver. Lord, may I look to you and see you glorious the whole time. Exodus 19, verse 16. 
may want to write the verse down. Exodus 19.16, if you're looking for a verse that would kind of explain it, it says, on the morning of the third day, this is when they were out at Mount Sinai, and they're in the wilderness. They've just come out of Egypt. They've been released and crossed the Red Sea. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. The presence of God, the glory of God, the volume of God, the brightness of God, God makes himself known. And it's a huge promise. I just wrote these words down. Character, for us, well, character, that's who you are when you're alone. Character is not who you are when everybody else is watching. Character is who you are when you're alone, and it's revealed in your actions not your words. Habakkuk is like, God, I look at your actions and I see who you are. God, I look at all that you've done in Egypt and I look at all that you've done in salvation and I am stunned at your glory. Habakkuk was brought face to face with the presence of God, the provision of God, the protection of God. And in the midst of being face to face with his protection, Habakkuk relaxed and said, I will worship you in all of your glory. And that's a huge moment where the problems that wash on our shore only become a slight distraction and we're back to worshiping our king. You know, last week I told you guys a story that I was on my way in uh, on Moeller Road and uh, had a little bit of a car moment. And uh, for those of you who weren't here, it was scary, man. This car came all the way across the road. We were going ahead on for a moment at probably 50 miles an hour on my side. He looked like he was going way more, maybe 70. So we had this almost head-on just miss. And I was like, wow, that was really a God moment. And then Wednesday night happened. And I'm on my way home down Pinecrest. And I get to Muller Road. I don't like that name anymore, by the way. And I get to Muller Road and Pinecrest. And I've got the green light and I've got a green arrow. And I'm like, okay, so I can take it. Now, you know, you're slowing down. I was probably down to five, six miles an hour as I'm taking this turn on the green arrow. All of a sudden, I see white flashing out of the right of my eye. I glance over and a car is going a good 60 miles an hour, doesn't see the stoplight, doesn't see it's red, and is blowing it full tilt. I hit the brakes. My truck skids to a stop. I'm holding that wheel so tight. I'm like, twice, right? I skid to a stop. This car just lights it up, brakes all over the place, smoke pouring off the front tires as he is skidding into the intersection, now probably going 40 miles an hour. He starts pulling away from me so that there's no contact, right? He's trying not to T-bone me, which I appreciate, right? (laughs) He's trying not to T-bone me as he's pulling and tugging on this. And all of a sudden, he's starting to come off the road, and he goes right into the East Peoria Fire Department Parking lot entrance there, the driveway, at 40 miles an hour, blowing through that, lighting up the tires. I'm like, he's going to hit the pole, man. He just misses that big giant pole that stands out there, clips the little pole next to it. With the edge of his car, I see white pieces fly as he goes, click, click. And he scrolls, strolls out into the grass and comes to a stop. And I'm sitting in the middle of the intersection like, whoa. <laughs> That was close again. What do I do now? 
And the light's starting to turn yellow as I've been sitting here for a while. I'm like, okay, I got to get out of here. So I start to move off the street and I'm like, I'll just go over and see how he's doing, you know? So I pull over into the grass and I drive over into East Peoria Fire Department grass and pull up next to him and get out. And I'm like, uh, how you doing, man? And he's like, I'm so sorry. That was all me, man. I blew a red light. It's all my fault. I'm so sorry. Are you okay? I'm like, dude, I'm fine. We missed by a good five to 10 feet. I'm good. Like, we're fine. And he's like, I'm, it was all me though. I'm sorry. So we talked a little bit. I'm like, okay, so we're good. Yeah, we're fine. We shook hands and I'm getting ready to go. The fire department guys come out and they're like, don't go anywhere. And I'm like, no, we're good. I was on the green. He's like, and they're like, yeah, we called the police. Just let the police manage it. So just hang with us. So I decided to stay with them. It took about 15 minutes for the police officer to get there, and we're sitting there chatting and joking, and uh, the guy's checking out his car that had been clipped pretty good, but, you know, not T-boned into a pole, so everything was not bad, you know? And then the police officer rolls up from East Peoria, who works at our church, (laughs) and he opens up the door, and he goes, what did you do? You got to love, man, I love that we have police officers that serve on Sundays here. I love that we have firemen and EMTs and nurses and doctors. Man, I, amen, man, huge. So uh, we talked just a little bit. One of the guys is like, you know him? Yeah. So we're chatting a little bit. He goes over, gets the storyline from the other guy, and then he comes over to me, and he's like, you know, license, and uh, can I see your uh, proof of insurance? So I pull out my license and the insurance, and I give it to him. It's 2020 proof of insurance. (laughs) And he's like, you know, this is 2020. I'm like, yeah, I saw that. Um, (laughs) I I got 2021 around here somewhere. I I know it. I put it in here. I remember. So I'm looking around. I'm throwing papers. I'm like, you know, and and he's like, ah, you know, and I'm like, do whatever you have to do, you know, like, and then I go, oh, here it is. And he goes, oh, good. You know, he's like, I don't want to have to write the pastor a ticket, right? I so he, he takes that, and, uh, and then we start getting the story. He's like, where do you hit you on the truck? And I'm like, no, we're clean. I didn't get hit. And he's like, you didn't get hit? I'm like, no. And he's like, then why are we doing this? You're good. So you went in through a green. There's no contact. He skidded off the road. He hit a pole. Yeah. You had no contact. No. You're free to go. So thanks, man. Good to see you. Take care. I went over and talked to the guy who had hit the pole one more time. We shook hands, and... And I jumped in the truck, and as I'm on getting back on the road, I'm holding that wheel a little tighter. And I'm like, Lord, thank you. I don't know what's going on, but I remember. I remember Sunday, and Lord, I'm certainly remembering this. And whatever's happening, I have to look on my truck when I get home and look for that big, giant bullseye target somewhere (laughs) that everybody's aiming at. Lord, thank you for the protection. Man, may we remember who our God is. And may we remember when he works in our life. And all of God's people said, celebrate and worship the God who's at work. May we truly praise him. Point number two, a growing faith will celebrate God's willingness to address sin and wrong. A growing faith will celebrate God's willingness to address sin and wrong. It says, before him went pestilence and plague followed his heels. This is God getting Israel out of 
Egypt, and he brings plagues, and he brings pestilence, and he caused the Pharaoh to release Israel out. And uh, this is God's work as he's doing something in the area. It says, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. He stood and measured, and he shook the nations. And uh, you know how they say with construction, uh, measure twice, cut once, right? Like God stood up and he measured and he saw exactly what it would take. And when he leaned in to do what it would take, the nations shuddered. The cut was exactly what it needed to be. God knows exactly what he's doing. He's purposeful and intentional and he's effective along the way. It says, then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. He's like, hey, for those of you who were looking at trying to defend yourself with the mountains, for those of you who were looking to high ground saying, that'll make me safe, just so we're super clear, while you're looking at the mountains and the hills going, these things are eternal. This will last. This will be my security. He's like, no, my God is the eternal one. He's like, you need to understand that your grasp of eternity and long-lasting is not my grasp of it. Maybe here's another way to say it. Hey, you should meet my God. His name is eternal. His name is Yahweh from eternity past to eternity future. And the mountains and the hills, they mean nothing. God has all authority. He moves in this world, and what he says goes. And all of God's people said, man, don't miss that moment of worship. He says, I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. He's like, I grasp fully what's happened in the nations around Cushan and Midian. These are nations that were right around the Red Sea, in fact. And uh, they were a little bit of a nomadic tribe. They tended to move a bit, but they also tended to call home somewhere right around the Red Sea. And so they were very aware when Moses ended up leading Israel across the Red Sea, where the Red Sea split apart by the very hand of God as Moses just raises his staff and sets it down and this, this water just opens up wide and Israel goes through on dry ground. Israel escaping from Egypt, one of the most notorious nations at that time. And they're getting out, no problem. They come across, the water comes slamming back down and wipes out most of Pharaoh's fighting army. Chariots are gone, warriors are gone. And that word got out. It rumbled. How did it get out? You know, we're not exactly sure how. We're not sure who told who about what. But one thing you do end up finding out is Moses' wife, Zipporah, she actually is a Midianite and a Cush. Like she's both of these nations in her background. Most likely there's some level of sharing and communication that's even going on from her to family. You should have seen it. You should have seen the waters come back. You should have seen us come across. You should have seen God answer. You should have seen when he provided and you should have seen the destruction afterwards. You should have seen it. There were people sharing of the experience of God protecting and providing 
and they were remembering and they were aware. He's like, man, these other nations, they tremble when they see it. In fact, by the time that the Israelites had traveled in their wanderings and they got all the way up to coming across the Jordan River to go in and to be able to see what was going on, they got pretty far to get up there. And they were now starting to decide, are we going to go into the promised land? So the sin hasn't happened yet where they refuse to go. They're about ready to decide. They go across, they sneak in, and they're trying to figure things out. And they're talking with Rahab, who's going to help them for that night. And as they talk with her, this is what she says, Joshua chapter 2, verse 10. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. This is Rahab talking in Jericho. And she's like, listen, Jericho, some of its biggest problems have been these kings you just defeated across the river. And Egypt has been notorious. You guys just took them on like nothing. Who is this God of yours? And whoever he is that's working in your life, we shudder at thinking he would come against us. Rahab, deciding to believe in Yahweh and lean on trusting in him and taking care of his people. He records after it, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? He's like, hey, when you opened up wide the Red Sea and you allowed people to cross, when it came slamming back down and made these huge waves and sound, when you opened up the Jordan River, when the Nile ended up being poisoned, when you were doing all these things to the rivers, were you angry with the water? Just so you know, that's sarcasm. Everybody say sarcasm. He's not saying, I wonder if he really was angry at water. Like this, he's like, obviously, it wasn't the creation you're mad at there of water. It was the human sin around it, and you were taking care of it. Were you angry with the mountains as you thundered forth, bringing the Ten Commandments? No, he's not angry with the water, and he's not angry with the mountains. It says, uh, make sure you understand here, this is an implied, very clear, the answer is uh, No. He's not angry with these things. He's absolutely making it clear that his judgment was against men. And for those who refused to set down their sin, for those who refused to come and worship God Almighty, there was destruction. And the waters brought that. And the mountain shaking brought that. But for those who accepted Almighty God in his mercy, for those who worshiped and praised him, there is salvation. There is hope. There is coming through it. And God, I praise your name for it. No, this wasn't just some moment with God in nature. This is God making a clear statement of where he stands on sin. Remember Habakkuk's big complaint in chapters 1 and 2. Where do you stand with sin? I see it now, God. I see you working. And I see you working in the nations. He says, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. He starts up with this metaphor of God as a warrior. 
as God is like pulling out his bow, pulling out an arrow and getting ready for war, getting ready to fire. He's like, you are on your game. You are in. You are going to war. You are prepared for battle. And you are my great warrior hope. Ready? Selah. And when we see that, it means just let that settle. The God who deals with sin is on the job. The God who deals with sin, he's got it in hand. And for those who refuse to bend to him, there is destruction. You will face God in all of his power. Don't do it. And for those who grasp what repentance is and laying it down, getting on a knee with a worship smile on your face, there is mercy. Selah. Let that settle. You are working with the God of the universe. And he does have it in hand. He then says, the mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. Same kind of concept, right? These things know of you. They're not in defiance of you. They're working with you. You are using the waters and the mountain to bring your payment. It says, the deep give forth its voice and, its lift, and lifted up its hands on high. I love these two statements really giving a personification to the waters, the deep of the waters, and kind of raising up and being loud in its worship. The waters worshiping is like when God says, time to roar, that the waters just rose up. Can you imagine hearing the sound of the as the waves are blowing through and the and he's like, that is the sound of the water worshiping you, the creator God, and creation is listening. And it's even raising up its hands, he says, a picture of when he says, now the waves and the waves rising up like hands going up to God. Man, we raise our hands in worship and we lift our hands up and we say, almighty king, you're in charge. And he's giving a personification to the waters as he's like, that was their obedient response to the king who's over creation. Man, may we raise our hands. Uh, there are moments where we have the sweet opportunity of worshiping God and going, you're in charge. You have all authority. You are awesome. And being able to hand ourselves over, our hands opened up as if to say, I'm offering me to you, all of you in charge. Man, there are moments where the wording is so strong, I actually go to, like, you have it. Like this, almost a closed fist of celebration. You've got it. I worship the one who's in charge. You are my king. You take your bow. You take your arrow. You fight and you take a stand. My God has it in hand. His authority and his power are my hope. And all of God's people said, man, in the midst of whatever washes on your shore. May we raise our hands in worship, knowing God ultimately has this in hand. May we raise our voices in worship and praise his holy name. It says the deep gives forth its voice and it lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still at the light of your arrows 
as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. Habakkuk's prayer, Lord God, you are my hope. You are engaged in this world, and I will not question it. I will lay this circumstance before you, and I'm going to let you move. What's your circumstance? What things are you facing that have you looking more at the circumstance than at your God? What stuff do you need to be laying down before your king? And saying, Lord God, you've got this. And are you ready to trust your God with the water that's touching the toes of your feet washing on your shore? Are you ready to say, you have all authority. You're my almighty king. You're in charge. And all of God's people said, let's pray. 